0: Hello. This is the Artcast, the fortnightly art review podcast with Kaz Murray and Laura Leonard. Hello again. Before we go into discussing the exhibition that we looked at this week, got a question for you, Laura. How yeah. how creative have you been this past week?
1: Well, I would say I had a pretty spectacularly creative day on Saturday. Tell us about it. A baked crumble. Not only That's did number be- one. <laughs> no, yeah, number one on the list. Not only did I bake crumble. I baked the best crumble I've ever baked.
0: That is bold.
1: Yeah, without a recipe. So I was quite proud of that. And the other thing I did was improvised a few casual dance routines with my uh, one-year-old daughter.
0: Amazing. Strictly
1: Co- blaring <laughs> in the background.
0: <laughs> Covering all sorts of media. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, when it was rain- when it's raining all day, what do you do? You stay at home, you make a crumble, and you choreograph some And you watch Strictly. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. So that's what I did. How about you, Kelsey?
0: I've had an uncharacteristically uncreative week. Um, terrible. It's really, like, poor form on my part. I mean, I, earlier this year, decided it'd be a great idea to get a knitting tattoo. Love Pretentious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the irony of that has been that I've actually not knitted that much since that tattoo, so I'm really not living up to my... Ooh,
1: not very authentic. My
0: rep. I know. Oh. I know, it's terrible. Which, just a
1: role-playing as a knitter.
0: Yeah, but also, it's been really hot this summer, and it is it feels counterintuitive to be knitting sweaters when it's 30 degrees outside so now that autumn is pretty much here
1: yeah i mean there's not really like an iced latte equivalent for knitting is there no really like a soft pile it's
0: really weird knitting when you're sweating (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's my excuse guys So this week we'll be discussing drag, self-portraits and body politics, which is currently on at the Hayward Gallery.
1: And Kaz going to do your two-minute intro. Done my
0: homework, going to do some intros. So the exhibition features a wide range of work from over 30 artists, all who have used drag in their artistic practice to explore and challenge identity, gender, class and politics. Spanning over 50 years, the exhibition includes works from established artists such as Cindy Sherman and Pierre Molinaire as well as a younger generation of contemporary artists. Cindy Sherman is a widely recognised and acclaimed artist whose work spans more than 30 years. Using herself as her own model, Sherman principally explores the construction of identity by transforming herself into a multitude of personas and capturing this through photography. Pierre Molinaire was a French surrealist painter and photographer best known for his erotic, masochistic imagery. Born in 1900s, Molinaire originally started off as a landscape painter, but post-World War II he progressed on to making auto-erotic self-portraits and photo-montages primarily featuring himself dressed in women's lingerie and engaged in erotic and sadomasochistic acts. Some of the newer artists included are Victoria Sin, who uses performance films and texts to deconstruct how images of ideal feminine identities are created and imposed. They assert that, quote... Gender is something that can be played with rather than something to measure people against. Another example of a rising artist is Paul Kindersley, working in multiple medias from performance to painting, exploring gender and identity through humorous drag acts, which you can find on the internet. Aspects of drag art and culture have increasingly become more prominent on mainstream platforms, see RuPaul's Drag Race on Netflix as one example. The Hayward Gallery exhibition, however, aims to go beyond commonly held conceptions of drag, showing it to be multifaceted with a long established cultural history and including artists from different generations and cultural backgrounds. The work in this exhibition are largely focused on self-portraiture and photography, but does include other mediums such as video and sculpture. and drag also is accompanied by a programme of tours led by drag. Artists. That's the intro. Hopefully, I've done it justice. Can um, I just
1: say how much I enjoyed your bio of Pierre Molinaire? It's like one day he's <laughs> like, Oh, I'm going to paint some really pretty <laughs> landscapes and gentle little pastoral scenes, and then the next day he's like, Hello, Sode self portraits.
0: I'm sure there was more to his journey than that, but it's a short intro, so apologies, <laughs> no, Pierre. I it. Cool, okay, well as most weeks first of all we're going to kick start with our general first impressions of the exhibition Laura.
1: My um, sort of top line reaction was just I found it really enthralling like I absolutely love this ex- exhibition I found it really interesting I mean not least because it kind of really showed to me that I had had a very embarrassingly two-dimensional understanding of what drag is it's basically one room chalked to the To the rafters with absolutely
0: packed with
1: lots of different artworks. And before I walked in there, I had I I kind of thought that drag was a man in a dress. I'm embarrassed to say I had no idea about drag kings, so women who like kind of wear masculine drag clothing. I had no idea about bio queens, is it bio queens? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's um women who use kind of drag tropes to appear as other women. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like. And it, it seemed quite a kind of optimistic overall kind of chorus of, of lots of different voices in this room. Mm. And I really enjoyed that. I thought the hang was really interesting because it was a gallery hang, which obviously is quite trendy at the moment, but it had a real purpose as well, I felt, because it was the way that... So, the, the artworks were all kind of like scattered over the walls but you f- yeah it you was felt not very was...
0: categorized it no, was just all presented but, together and
1: it was you know spanning different time periods as well so you'd be looking at one artwork that was made in sort of the 40s next to one that was made in the 70s and it really opened up conversations on different elements at so different themes that are kind of associated with drag so to do with role play or appropriation or power dynamics or gender and like it really felt I have had as, as much interest in sort of why the curator had decided to put to these particular artworks mm. next to each other what they were kind of, kind of trying to show There's me. lots of
0: questions for you.
1: Yeah and also it's just it's an exhibition that just doesn't keep still either because you've got one wall down the side of like video art which is just constantly flickering and, and moving and you've also got Paul Kindersley's Doodles
0: Mm, drawings and illustrations illustrations.
1: all over the room and they kind of they dance around the other artworks and they they spill up into the corners of the room and around the doorway and and so they kind of don't stop moving either and I just I really enjoyed it I felt I felt like it was quite an experience you got quite a lot from it yeah and it it was really thought-provoking I was excited to talk to you about it yeah
0: definitely well I suppose my reaction was some similarities but also I had some different feelings to it so it's quite mixed but first of all, I just want to say that I felt that the artists in there and the work that was presented was really interesting and I really liked how it included a lot of artists I'd never heard of and actually made me I had the program from the Hayward Gallery and I was like circling the ones I was like oh I want to go and look at them later and I did kind of go away and sort of look up more of their work.
1: Yeah me too I did lots of starring. Yeah
0: exactly which I think is really that's an amazing thing because that's Mm. what I think a lot of exhibitions are trying to do. I had some frustrations with The Hang. I think, well, I I think what I was feeling is that it felt a little bit like it was skimming the surface. So it had quite a sparse intro and it just seemed to be covering such a wide range of topics that I initially was a bit disorientated in the exhibit and kind of didn't know where to start and and also just felt a bit frustrated that I was only necessarily seeing one photo from an artist's work and was maybe left wanting a little bit more. But then I suppose also, like... to go the other way, if they were to really categorise the work yeah. and kind of put it into like, I don't know, themes or whatever, it starts to undermine the whole purpose of the work, yeah. which is to disorientate and unpack categories. Or to
1: show like the multiplicity of the movement rather than to, like you said, categorise. And also I think the other element here as well is that so much of, of what we understand about gender roles in particular is like based on visual clues. True, so, yeah. So... In a way, like, like for instance, I loved the um, Valley Export works, mm, three yeah. images and self-portraits of the artist. What I understood to be androgynous was kind of a minimal kind of use of any gender mm. kind of biases or any gender kind of signifiers, whereas actually what you see in this artwork is it's kind of like a maximal approach it's like the very very feminine mixed with the very very masculine so for instance the artist's eyes are beautifully made up in kind of the 60s makeup of the time like massive Mm. eyelashes and loads of eyeliner but then the way that Uh, the artist is standing in the image is kind of overtly masculine like it's spreading legs and shoulders and taking up as much room as possible Mm. and that for me was so interesting to look at because it was all visual like I I really feel like you couldn't really describe that I mean I've just tried but you just (laughs) need to Google it have a look at it (laughs) look it up it's worth
0: it Um, yeah no I, I totally get that I think it is important to sort of encourage the people that go into the exhibit to kind of actually really look at the work and engage with it and not sort of read the bio next to it. I suppose I just felt like it was one room. It was, It's a free exhibit, but it was one room. There was a lot in there and I just, I, I was left wanting more, which is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. yeah but I think I would have liked to have seen the artist given a bit more space to unpack what they were doing and perhaps, hopefully, this will pave the way for a bigger exhibit because I well, felt yeah, like it was of, tip of the iceberg.
1: We spoke about this before, didn't we, that perhaps this is, you know, an exciting start to something. Definitely. Someone telling a bigger story. Or, Definitely. And or, or like, story.
0: yeah, or just many, many more stories. So we've picked out some of our kind of ones that stuck with us the most, or we thought were really interesting.
1: In terms of sort of the first one I kind of encountered in the exhibition was probably Orit Mm -hmm. Ashery's self-portrait as Marcus Fisher. And I found it extremely interesting, because basically the story behind uh, the image is that the artist, who is Jewish but secular, had dressed up as an orthodox Jewish man. And during the course of the kind of image being taken, she'd kind of entered into various situations which are exclusive to Orthodox Jewish men, including dancing with thousands of Orthodox Jewish men in Israel. And she spoke about how liberating that experience was.
0: Well, I suppose it's the sort of, she is dressing up and then entering a space that she wouldn't necessarily be able to enter if she was dressed as she was. Yeah, And to a certain extent, the people that she was engaging with didn't know necessarily that she was in drag.
1: But also I think what's interesting about it as well is that i had always thought drag was kind of so much a kind of performer's game whereas, I mean, obviously she's taking a photograph of herself which is a, a bit of a performance but when she was dancing in those with the other Orthodox Jewish men, that's more for a personal kind of liberation than Mm. perhaps performing for other people. So it kind of questioned my understanding about drag as role play and who that role plays for.
0: I think sometimes people see it as maybe it's like a front, but actually it's just a part of their identity which they are bringing to the fore and potentially and acting that out in front of an audience, but it's still probably a hugely personal
1: thing. she's described the dressing up as Marcus Fisher as her way of understanding her own religious and cultural heritage. Yeah,
0: which that, I think, makes sense to me. Yeah, Yeah.
1: but in the blurb in the exhibition, it wasn't clear that she was a Jewish woman either. So that kind of left me thinking, like, hang on, does she have any ownership to this? Like, how, you know, what's her way in? Like, is this...
0: What, like, is there a connection?
1: Yeah, like, is this her story to be telling? But this is where I thought The Hang was interesting, because that... Artwork by Aurit Ashery was hanging next to um, a work by an artist called Sturtevant. What this artist does is appropriates from other artists and so mm. they've sort of made an artwork out of copying sort of Andy Warhol's artworks or the one that they had on show was an image by... It was the artist recreating a portrait of Duchamp by Man Ray. Yeah. So the, it was actually a self-portrait of Sturtevant but dressed up as... Duchamp being photographed by Man Ray and I There's found so, many layers, to so it. <laughs> many layers to it but also really I felt purposefully perhaps hung next to the self-portrait of Marcus Fisher mm. because it talked about ideas of appropriation and simulation and, and how that kind of plays into actual creativity like borrowing from other people, mm. borrowing other ideas.
0: The other thing as well is that and it t- gets talked about a lot more um about which is really good around like intersectionality and that like i on the one hand can be part of a group that is not privileged but also at the same time i can have a lot of privilege in other areas and it's kind of being able to hold what seems like opposing viewpoint yeah exactly being like okay I realize that in some cases I am disadvantaged for various reasons I'm dyslexic mm-hmm. for example but then on the other hand I am very privileged like my economic background so yeah being able to hold the nuance of that rather than get offended if someone goes actually you've said something or acted in a way that is quite privileged yeah Me being like okay Going to take that on board.
1: Interesting, because I think that leads on quite well to the lady who does the role play with her mum. Ah,
0: uh, yeah, that mm. one really kind of yeah. chilled me almost a little bit. But yeah, I really liked that one.
1: I felt a similar work in times of trying to understand somebody else's perspective. Joe Spence, Photo Therapy, My Mother, Gladys Claude, circa 1938 – so basically what the artist does is dress, she's dressed up as her mother at that particular time in her life to try and kind of, I guess, see the world from her perspective to kind of relive difficult moments yeah. of her own life and try and understand it. From... I thought it was
0: really brave. Yeah, Really, really brave. And it's really, like, really interesting because actually within some form of therapies, like gestalt therapy, which I have a bit of training in, there's this whole idea of psychodrama where you enact out different roles. And if you have a difficult relationship with someone actually kind of engaging with them Mm. but also moving between speaking to them and then speaking as them and that can be quite a powerful way to unlock like different perspectives or and also the uncomfortable truth that say you have a difficult relationship with your parent part of you you have within them potentially your parents are actually they're oh, wow. a bit closer to home so,
1: yeah so perhaps it's not just a role play that you actually do have more in common with yeah them well there's acting. this
0: idea of um that if I really can't stand a certain quality in other people that might actually be a quality that I really feel uncomfortable integrating within my own personality or identity interesting so I project it on someone else because yeah. then I can say they are a bully I hate bullies they're horrible but actually am I able to accept the bully within me
1: so you were spotting those behavioural tendencies because you know you do them. Exactly. Yeah, And wow.
0: they're the ones that we can't integrate. So I thought it was really interesting with Jo Spence, the way she really, like, in quite a confrontative way, is mm. kind of, like, facing something that is really traumatic and it is really easy to other the person, be like, no, yeah. they're completely unlike me. And just
1: wallow in your fury and build up that barrier. Say, yeah. no, they're other to me.
0: Yeah, I, Jo Spence, I thought, was really, really interesting and made me, like, look up therapy because it really reminded me of techniques I've seen in therapeutic contexts where... You really get someone to act out. And it really yeah. reminded me of Gillian Waring, an amazing mm-hmm. exhibition years ago where he had all these actors and he basically had to recreate a tableau of him being bullied in, on, on a, yeah. an estate. And there's actually a moment where you can tell that it's no longer a fake or made up scenario, it actually becomes real. And he like engages with his old feelings Those in the here and now. It was, it gave me goosebumps. And mm. just, I mean, Gillian Waring, she's amazing. But yeah, it was just really powerful. Okay, well, I'll pick one of my ones, which was Lynn Hirschman Leeson, External Transformation. Just for a bit of context behind this self-portrait, from 1974 to 1978, Lynn lived as her alter ego, Roberta Brettmore. and basically she constructed a new personality, she created new mannerisms, I think even new handwriting, Mm -hmm. opened a bank bank account, account, rented an apartment, and then I think Created a series of kind of self portraits of herself off the back of this work. And I think what I found really interesting is one, I was like, what must that have been like? Because this isn't like I'm putting on a character and then doing that for a few hours, and then going back to what is, quotes, me, mm. is that she sort of transformed herself for, like, what, four years? Yeah. And lived as that person, and I just really wondered, like, what that must have been like for her in her own internal world.
1: Yeah, and do you think, did, did her family and friends just think she'd gone missing?
0: Quite, yeah, exactly. Did she make new friends? Yeah. Like, was she lonely? Was it liberating? Mm. Did she, was she able to sort of... It made me wonder, like, if I take on a different persona, does it give me freedom to potentially act in different ways to where if I'm actually being myself, whatever that is, I feel is more risky. So Mm. I really wondered, like, was it her feeling like she was trapped in someone that wasn't her or whether it was liberating, whether it was a mix of the two. But I think what she really unpacked is this, and it really reminded me of Frida actually, is the sort of constructed nature of our identities Mm -hmm. and how a lot of that can happen kind of quite subconsciously. And she kind of takes it to an extreme and does it very, very consciously to sort of enact out something that we all do on different scales on a day-to-day basis. But I just really liked how she kind of took it to the extreme and really made it like, right, I'm going to choose what my handwriting looks like. And yeah. Just made me very curious about how that then interplayed with her own personal individual experience. Yeah,
1: but then the question that I would have with her is like how would the people who interacted with her during those four years just play devil's advocate, how might they feel about, you know, the fact that she Mm. wasn't necessarily the person that she was pretending to be or um, it's sort of similar
0: of Aurie, like she was interacting with people as a different yeah. persona and is what are the morals and ethics and it's of very that.
1: topical at the moment with the undercover police yeah operations and Definitely. the sexual relationships that they were having yeah yeah there was time. like I mean, obviously uh, i don't know whether the, either of these artists did kind of engage in relationships as their other yeah. uh, personas but it does kind of there
0: is a moral dimension of at what point does it start to become potentially deceitful if I am very consciously being like right I'm going to create a new character yeah
1: or at what point do my actions actually implicate other people it's not just about me finding some liberation or some some other part of myself it actually has a, a real implication on somebody else
0: no easy answer on that but I think definitely with the kind of example of the police there's definitely like a power dynamic in there yeah. that I think is that's what makes it particular that kind of
1: well, the fact that it was kind of state-backed as well yeah exactly and it's what I, I liked about the Met bosses actually knew about yeah. it as well so.
0: yeah and I think what's interesting about Lynn is that like actually what she was doing is quite subversive because it's very much like she did acts that actually were illegal in terms of like opening a bank account I Under mean, a false name. Yeah, I but, thought that was really interesting.
1: But to be honest, I was just, I mean, I'd love it if she did do, if she had done something a little bit more interesting than just even a bank account. <laughs> but that's like, life, what, oh, what am I going to do? That's life. Oh, oh that's... I've got, I can be this other person. What will I do? Like, I love so that. I'm just
0: going to do some admin. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> can, I'll do some apartment. Apartment. admin.
0: I wonder how she wound up that character. You know, she finished in 1978.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> was it Cliff Edge? Did she? I yeah. don't know. But
0: that, and again, like. When she kind of presented as herself again, mm. how had things shifted for her? Had I wonder shif- if she
1: closed the bank account.
0: Is that bank account <laughs> still out there? No, but like seriously, like I think like because our personalities and like identities are an interplay between internal and external, like and mm. kind of to what extent is my character an inherent thing that comes from within, and how much of it is in response to engaging with the environment around me?
1: Yeah, which true. I think
0: is a really interesting point, and also. I think one thing I've been learning over the years is I used to have quite a fixed idea of I am this type of person, I do these things. Actually, I contain many different versions of me that come out in different points and different times. And and actually, that is quite scary, albeit liberating point of view, because it means that I'm never stuck. Mm. And actually, I can... There's a lot more that I can change and control, if I wish. But yeah, it must have been a really, really interesting experience. Much like an author might get quite attached to the characters they're creating. I wonder if she... Ever misses Roberta. Mm. So another one that I absolutely loved that really stuck out for me and I sort of spent quite a lot of time looking at was... Samuel Fosso auto portrait African spirit series, and it's where Samuel Fosso has taken a self portrait of himself and transformed himself into Angela Davis, who's American civil rights activist. And first of all, I just thought it was a really beautiful photo, it yes. was just really beautifully shot and kind of very intimate. It was very close, kind of headshot, so yeah, and quite big as well, so it felt very close. And it really seemed like Fosso was really kind of channeling, kind of like the spirit of Angela Davis, yeah. So it's kind of like a paying homage to which I thought was really sweet and tender and kind of powerful. Uh,
1: Yeah, I thought it was quite sweet too, because the backstory was about him setting up his photography studio when he was 13 years old. By day, he'd take portraits of people as his job, basically, and then by night, he would take self-portraits as these people who he obviously found enormously inspiring.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think like really trying to sort of raise up people that are particularly important within history and sort of celebrate them I thought was like a really powerful thing. And emulate
1: them, learn from them I guess. Definitely, I
0: read up a bit about him actually and went to kind of look for other kind of like information about him because I was like oh I just want to know more about this person and he was originally a refugee, fled the war in Nigeria, the Biafran War, so had kind of very very difficult childhood and I think some people have kind of asked him questions about that and he sort of has responded saying that yes he has this history but he really wants to create his own story and have power over creating that story which again I think is I thought was like really really interesting that people can end up being defined by certain experiences in their life and actually Mm -hmm. how do you help someone potentially move beyond that and have control over their own narrative or decide actually from now on I want to this to be my story, yeah. which I thought was really interesting and really connected with Frida as well in terms of what we discussed in our last episode. If you haven't listened, do give it a listen.
1: Yeah, he's a really interesting artist. I, I, I came away thinking I'd want to see more of his work as definitely, well. Definitely,
0: definitely. And hear more about like what he has to say as well.
1: So I feel that we've been <coughs> sort of tiptoeing around a particular uh, work, yes. Which we knew we both had quite different... Just going to have a little
0: sip of wine before we <laughs> enter. Oh,
1: no, no, has gone? Gonna <laughs>
0: refresh myself before we plunge in.
1: So, in the exhibition, one of the video works was Paul Kindersley's YouTube tutorials, yes. in which he does makeup tutorials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's done about forty or something like that. I think. Yeah, heard, thereabouts. On his YouTube channel, which is the British are coming. Mhm. So which made me laugh. That. Yeah, <laughs> I actually found this particular work a little bit offensive. <laughs>
0: You had quite a strong reaction to it, didn't you? Yeah,
1: I had quite a strong reaction to it. And um, for me, I mean, when I was reading up more about some of the artists, I I read an interview with Victoria Sin, which I found really impressive. And there is a quote from it, which I think kind of starts to kind of help me understand why I had the reaction I had to this work. They talk about drag sometimes being misogynistic, but says that for them, the butt of the joke has to be gender
0: yeah it's the the sort of social construct not the people yeah. within it
1: and I felt like this work sort of missed that mark so in it Hall Kindersley kind of takes off the you know there's a plethora of YouTube tutorials about how to do your eyelashes how to do your hair the way that he's doing it is purposefully kind of ridiculous it yes is. it's yeah. like
0: um he pushes it to the complete extreme to one point where he's like creating himself into a lobster to create a, like a lobster look and he's literally painting his face with a paintbrush from like wilco's or somewhere like that um and like you know so it is it's kind of really really ludicrous what he does
1: yeah and so i sort of felt the butt of his joke wasn't so much gender construct but the reams of girls who rely on or have a complicated relationship with makeup and perhaps that's because I know I personally have a complicated relationship with Mm. makeup myself and I don't think it's necessarily 100% my choice that I wear it I think there's a huge kind of legacy of feeling a pressure of being a woman and therefore having to be decorative so i didn't really feel like he was entirely sensitive to that we can compare it to the victoria sin work where they also look at makeup and they use a face wipe under that artwork where it says about the material the materials used it's all sort of like rimmel and yeah all the products all the products yeah because they have made the image from using the makeup
0: yeah paul and victoria
1: They're looking at the same thing. Looking at the same
0: thing and Victoria did it better and more sensitively is what I'm hearing what you're saying. And actually, unfortunately, I didn't get as long. I looked at Paul's work longer than Victoria's, mainly because someone was hogging the headphones. Mm -hmm. And don't you just Mm -hmm. hate that in a gallery where you're sort of (laughs) queuing up politely behind someone to like listen. And I ran out of time. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to look at Victoria's work as much as I'd liked. And maybe if I had seen that, I would have perhaps viewed the work of um kindersley like a bit differently because i i didn't necessarily find it offensive i was kind of amused and entertained by it i do take your point that potentially someone could say well actually you know what is he poking fun at what is he holding up as ridiculous and was it squarely on the kind of gender construct or was it actually potentially on just sort of a lots of mainly young women not only but who kind of engage in that kind of culture I also wear less makeup so maybe it didn't hit such a personal note with me
1: I definitely have a complex relationship with it because when I see my one-year-old daughter watching me put it on I don't like that I don't want her Mm. to see me doing that I don't want her to think that that's something that mummy does but daddy doesn't and it's just part of being a woman Johnny's just gonna have to wear makeup (laughs) that's the only way you're gonna solve that (laughs) yeah Um, I think that's one
0: thing we've learned
1: (laughs) but equally having spent a good portion of time at the beginning of Auralee's life like not being able to wear my own clothes not having the time to put on my makeup it's something i really missed it's something i I'd identified with as who i am and when i was you know in a dressing gown the majority of the time for the first few weeks or even after that wearing like floaty tops so that i could breastfeed and i didn't really feel like my body was mine for me it's been an element of kind of getting a bit of identity back yeah, as well yeah definitely but, so I have a really complicated relationship with it. and I
0: Maybe what it is, is maybe you felt there was a judgment there that what you were doing definitely, is wrong. I've,
1: definitely, yeah. Which Rather than might not have been its
0: intention, but... Why
1: it is that I do it. And, yeah. Um, and so I think Victoria Sin, when they were talking about their work to do with makeup, it being an archive of female labour... 100%. I kind of felt that was a more interesting way to frame it. And they also talked about that the fact that it kind of the mark of the makeup on the makeup wipe is a sort of ascribed, but also an inscribed yeah. femininity. Like yeah, building that face, it's both you both inscribe it to yourself, but it's also ascribed to you because well, to to a woman who's expected yeah. to be decorative or to appear. So it's kind way. of both
0: at one point a choice and a way of presenting myself, and also it's like um but it's also what I said in the, the blurb and in its imposed in a sense of that's the cultural norm and expectation that to resist can be quite challenging i have definitely been told many times by people that i've dated which i look back at that and go oh yeah you'd be really pretty if you wore makeup i've been told that numerous times yeah
1: wow. like
0: you're kind of like you know you look great but just if you put a bit of makeup on you'd be really pretty
1: wow see i can't imagine ever saying like a similar thing to a guy yeah Although I did ask, once asked Johnny if he would still love me if I had his hair cut. <laughs> when, he'd had, when he'd had a That's, a, that's a
0: really barbed, quite loaded question there, yeah. Laura. But, you know.
1: Um, so <laughs> that's also
0: really funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Victoria Sin quote that I think you used in your intro. Yes. Where they say gender
0: is something that can be played with rather than something to measure people against
1: yeah absolutely it's it kind of we're shaking up those kind of signifiers that we've always just taken for red so it is going to be unsettling and And
0: i think also like the key thing with played with which actually Mm. implies not taking stuff too seriously although sometimes maybe where it's needed but it's playing it's like Mm. almost like children like i'm playing around with stuff and seeing what fits and seeing what doesn't and ultimately deciding what's right for me yeah rather than like like very serious and kind of really trying to pin stuff down and quite a lot of drag is extremely playful and funny and light and pokes fun at stuff and kind of holds things up and presents them in different ways and I think kind of that idea of like I'm playing around with something kind of almost takes out the sort of like oh I'm worried about if I'm going to offend or I'm worried about like yeah is it this or is it that And it's actually if we forget about worrying so much about that and actually try to engage with it in a more playful way still respectful then actually we can stand to gain a lot really yeah.
1: so yes which of the all the works in the drag <laughs> exhibition if you could take one
0: just one um just one. it'll have to be the samuel Fosso one it's just a really really beautiful photo and yeah. just kind of powerful and tender and intimate and strong all in one
1: do you know I can really see that in your living room as well? Yeah, it's. I think it's just. A, I
0: think it'd be a good thing to look at. Yeah. A lot every day, and I really want to discover more of his work and to see if he's got any kind of exhibitions. Whereas there's more of his pieces because I can imagine seeing lots of those images all together being quite a powerful experience. Mm,
1: definitely.
0: What about you, Laura? What would you be taking away with you
1: my pick? into your
0: personal
1: <laughs> art collection? <laughs> to my curated collection. Yep. My pick from the exhibition is. I'll, I'm going to have the Robert Maplethorpes, please. The two self portraits.
0: That's going to be um, yours.
1: They're going to be mine. Thank you very much. Um, Cheers,
0: Hayward. Just pop it in the post.
1: <laughs> and that is so that I can be one step further to my fantasy of living in the Chelsea Hotel with Patty Smith and Robert Maplethorpe. <laughs> one day. <laughs> and I'm Ginsburg, one and day. One day. Mitchell. One day. So next time, to you're dancing
0: with Ori. <laughs> so strictly. I'm strictly.
1: Dancing. I'll actually just imagine I'm in the Chelsea yeah. Hotel.
0: Fab. so and i suppose like following all of our discussions about all the various different artworks that were included kind of any last final thoughts about how you feel about the exhibit
1: yeah i guess where you're at from what we've been saying like, like i found i did find it quite a disorientating exhibition in terms yeah of me too re kind of calibrating kind of accepted opinions i had on things or accepted understandings of certain kind of clothing or bodily kind of signifiers and definitely and that in itself is just quite it's, it's both really liberating and really exciting and it felt like a very affirmative experience but also when I'm trying to talk about it sometimes a little bit disorientating or it's
0: perhaps you're still connecting up in your head like thoughts and finding a language to something that maybe is yeah, still like being very defined and kind of conversation and particularly the mainstream quite
1: visual perhaps definitely. rather than something linguistic
0: and I think yeah I definitely found it quite found it as an exhibition really disorientating and initially felt frustrated but then as I thought about it I thought that's actually part of the point Mm. and part of the point of it
1: in the exhibition but it's kind of been since then that I've been trying to kind of understand but that's really exciting because that means
0: it's like sifting within Mm. you and kind of some of your thoughts and ideas and hitting I guess on it something. Those
1: conversations are still going on in my in definitely,
0: and, yeah. which I think is a massive success of an exhibit. To have mm. such, it really stayed with me. I thought about it for a long time. I yeah, looked at the art too. artworks for a long time, and I think that's kind of testament to the artwork that was in the room i definitely want more like i was i definitely feel that frustration of oh there's so much more here this is tip of the iceberg so i really do hope major national gallery picks this up and does something bigger and involves many different artists in it uh, because i'd happily put you know my hand in my pocket and pay for a bigger version of what we saw as it
1: stands a fantastic free exhibition yeah
0: definitely so please please do go you'll discover some really interesting work you'll discover artists you haven't heard of prepare to perhaps you know step out of your comfort zone which i think is a really exciting space to be in because that's probably where change happens Mm -hmm. both within yourself and also within society when people are taken out of what is their known world into something else and i think really good art does that Mm -hmm. so this has been drag it's on until the 14th of october at the hayward gallery definitely definitely do go it's a free exhibit i think it's really important to support exhibitions like this because that's how bigger stuff is made and if you've seen it and also have thoughts please let us know what you think because we'd love to know what other people's responses are whether you had a top pick
1: or if we got anything wrong in our analysis (laughs) definitely (laughs) because
0: i think part of the purpose of this uh, podcast is to see stuff we love and see stuff that we don't usually look at We've also never made a podcast before. So this is definitely us stepping up out of our comfort zone. So please do get in touch. Before we leave you on to the art news Laura what's been your you've been scouring the news
1: yeah, so what stood my, out my art story this week that I wanted to talk to you about cool Cathy. hit me I'm quite excited to so think you're going to like it
0: good <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm pleased
1: <laughs> basically it's actually to do with an exhibition which has opened in London this past week oh yeah the Foundling Museum oh have yeah the Ladies of Quality and Distinction exhibition tell me more <laughs> it's an exhibition of us no I'm joking um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, so the picture gallery of the founding it's gonna be
0: my new twitter bio
1: <laughs> the picture gallery of the founding museum in bloomsbury is going to be rehung. oh no place. i have heard about this yeah. yeah the forgotten women of the history of the museum so the founding museum is on the site of the foundling hospital the world's first incorporated charity in the early really? yeah mm-hmm. through that
0: i didn't know that and i yeah. bloody work for the charity sector
1: in the early 18th century, when Thomas Coram was going around trying to gain enough support for a royal charter to start his uh, vision for the hospital, basically he'd been living in the US for about 11 years, and then he came back to London and was absolutely appalled by the abandoned children on on the streets. And so he went to all the kind of noble, aristocratic men of influence to try and get them on board because he had to get a royal charter to be able to found his charity. Nobody was interested. He spent... To almost two decades knocking really? on the door of these yeah respectable men and nobody was interested common consensus was that if you provided that sort of safety net for these children you were also somehow kind of okaying licentious behavior or sex, sexual promiscuity. Yeah. you were encouraging
0: it and then people oh my god it just it echoes like
1: yeah. Arguments
0: now, which is a little bit depressing, but yeah.
1: So after spending almost two decades trying to get some support from these aristocratic men, Thomas Coram decided to go to notable ladies instead. So he went to the mothers, sisters, wives, daughters of mm. these these guys, and had far more success. And actually, for those women at the time, it would have been quite a brave thing to put their names to something which was considered a little morally dubious. But they obviously well partially did it in support of obviously children but also of other women other women who found themselves destitute and yeah without to take their baby so it's incredible so i think there are sort of 20 odd portraits of all these women that were on the original petition because they all signed first and then they worked on their husbands but you know since the creation of the founding museum the picture gallery has just been hung by with pictures of the men uh, who all support. The male uh. governors or men who signed that original petition or the second petition. So now it's actually be- been rehung with images. Mega! The- oh, I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. That
0: sounds awesome. Well done, Founding Museum. If you've got any comments, thoughts, or you'd just like to write to us, I love an email, you can get us on helloartcast at gmail.com. We're also on social media. Said like a true millennial. Uh, we're on Instagram. You can find us at, at theartcast. We don't have a Twitter yet, but we're working on it. And yeah, if you've liked what you listen to, please rate, review, subscribe, standard podcast instruction, and yeah, send to a friend. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>
1: Bye. It was a crumble epiphany. Crumble epiphany. It can't be I'm sad to
0: miss it.